odds are you don't really know what the odds are. I think it's fun to think about sometimes how likely something is to happen, and I bet we all feel pretty good that we have an understanding of the reality of life. But I am going to put your intuition to the test this morning, and I'm going to give you two options, and you're going to have to pick which one you think is more likely. All right? So, which one is more likely? The odds of being named Emma in 2021, or the odds of being named Jacob in 2021? All right? Raise your hand if you think Emma. Raise your hand if you think Jacob. Ooh, sorry, Jacobs. You're actually way more likely to be named Emma in 2021. One in 115 chance, if you're a girl, that you are going to be named Emma. And 122, one in 222 chance that you'll be named Jacob. Now, historically, I would think Jacob is a much more common name. But 2021, that is the case. All right, what is more likely? The odds of you, you, all, one of you, winning an Olympic medal, or one of you dying in a plane crash. All right, raise your hand if you think you're more likely to win an Olympic medal. Raise your hand if you're more likely to die in a plane crash. (laughs) Surprisingly, I mean, I'm looking at you guys. Surprisingly, you're more likely to win an Olympic medal, statistically speaking. Now, in reality, I know not any of us are going to the Olympics. I don't, maybe. Lissa, if you try really hard at gymnastics, you might make it someday. But I'm not going. (laughs) But I do fly, so I'm probably more likely to die on a plane than I am to win a medal. But statistically speaking, just taking the numbers, you're more likely to win an Olympic medal. All right. Are you more likely to win the lottery, or are you more likely to get hit by a meteorite? Okay, raise your hand if you think you're more likely to win the lottery. Wait, what, any lottery? The Mega Million Jackpot. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess any lottery ticket, yeah, or like any scratch-off game, that doesn't count. I'm talking like the big lotteries. The big lotteries. Okay, meteorite people. Who are the meteorite people? Oh, good intuition. You're actually way more likely to get struck by a meteorite. Interestingly enough, uh, there was a nine-pound meteorite in 1954. This lady was just taking a nap in her bed, and a meteorite came through her roof, bounced off her radio, and hit her in the leg, left a huge bruise, and then there was a lawsuit between her and her landlord. Who does the meteorite belong to? And her her neighbor uh, got a piece of the same meteorite, went through his barn, and uh, he ended up selling it enough to buy a car and a house. So it was obviously worth quite a bit of money. Uh, And it was a very famous meteorite. In 2016, a guy was struck and killed by a meteorite. Just crazy. What's really cool is if you take a bucket and you set it on your roof, and you wait for a few nights, you'll actually get little particles of space dust that collect in the bucket. Now, do you not remember, like... 18 weeks ago, I talked about the big meteorites and, like, there's things going on we don't see and how there's, like, millions of space particles. Anyway, just... Now I know you don't listen to me, Aaron, okay? Okay, what do you think is more likely? The odds of losing something in the mail system, like something you send getting lost, or getting food poisoning in a year. All right? Raise your hand if you think you're more likely to get something lost in the mail. Raise your hand if you're more likely to get food poisoning. 
Those people have been through something recently. We need to pray for them. <laughs> You're actually way more likely to get food poisoning a year. One in six people in the U.S. get food poisoning in a year. <laughs> so, in 2014, this is nuts. 88 million items were lost in the U.S. Postal Service. And only 3% of those were actually returned or got to the person they were intended to. Here is a crazy story. No joke. Reality. I was talking to my grandma, Sue, the other day. And she was talking to David Krogh the other day. She was telling me a story that David Krogh got a restitution herald at his address from 2004. Delivered to his house last month. <laughs> he's like, he opens it. And he said it, he got it. And he said it looked like it had been ran over a truck, like really beat up. And he's like, what did they do to this thing? He's like looking at it. He's like, wait. Where is this from? And he looks at the date. 2004. It had been in the postal service somewhere in a dark corner since 2004. Crazy. Almost 20 years. All right. What's more likely? The odds of opening a double-yoked egg or your house burning down? Okay. Raise your hand if you think a double-yoked egg. All right. Your house burning down, people. Okay. Keep my eye on you, Tanner. <laughs> Maybe your house is more likely to burn down. It's actually way more likely to open a double yoked. Has anybody actually ever opened a double yoked egg? Okay, yeah, okay. If you open an egg every single day for three years, about, you'll open a double yoked egg, which is pretty cool. Younger chickens also produce, younger hens produce double yoked eggs at a higher rate. Okay, what's higher? The odds of a professional bowler getting a 300 game or you being born with a twin. Okay? Raise your hand if you think bowler getting a 300 game. All right? You being born as a twin. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's actually uh, 1 in 250 chance of a twin being born. Of course, the order your mom and, you know, some modern methods, fertilization, increase those odds. But naturally, 1 in 250. All right. What's more likely, finding a four-leaf clover or getting struck by lightning at some point in your life? Raise your hand if it's more likely to find a four-leaf clover. Who thinks that? Who thinks it's more likely to get struck by lightning in your life? Now, it's crazy because those numbers are way closer than you think they should be. It's about 1 in 10,000 chance of finding a four-leaf clover. So if you go to a really dense clover patch on a three-and-a-half foot by three-and-a-half foot square... There's a chance you'll find one four-leaf clover if you look hard enough. And one in 15,000 chance of getting struck by lightning in your life. But don't worry, 90% of people who get struck by lightning survive. It's nothing to worry about. What? Is it more likely in Indiana? Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) So if you're in Indiana, look out for the judgment of God. (laughs) There's a reason. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Actually, I'm thinking. So, <laughs> as a fe- I love I love Indiana, I love I love Indiana. It's just my favorite state. <laughs> as of February twenty sixth, twenty twenty three, the world record holder for the most four leaf clovers collection looks like this. This is this is the girl, and she's from Madison, Wisconsin, of all places. She has 
an official Guinness World Record collection of 118,791 four-leaf clovers. She also holds two other world records for the most four-leaf clovers found in an hour, which is 451, and eight hours, which I don't know the number. She also has two other world records right now attempting to be made for the most six-leaf and most seven-leaf clovers. It's just crazy. Now, I, I was thinking, if there's a 1 in 10,000 chance of finding a four-leaf clover, technically she would have looked at nearly a billion clovers in her life to find those. Now, she may have bought some. She may have, <laughs> she may have traded for some. Yeah, really, really lucky. Or maybe she knows the secret four-leaf clover places. I thought she was going to be from Ireland. I really did. But she's from Wisconsin. Okay, what is more likely, the odds of being born on your due date or being killed in a car wreck? Due date people. Wow. Car wreck people. Uh, you're way off. It's actually almost four times more likely to be born on your actual due date than to be killed in a car wreck. Okay, what's more likely, to die in a hurricane or to die by furniture falling on you? What? Mm, yeah, <laughs> you could be both. <laughs> you could be both. Raise your hand if you think you're more likely to die in a hurricane. Wow, just a few over here. Furniture people, you must know someone who's died. It's way more likely that you're going to die by furniture falling on you. <laughs> yeah, steel case people over there getting taken out of their job. What's more likely, to die by a shark attack or to die in a tornado? <laughs> yep. Now, it's almost a 0% chance of dying in a tornado. But it's way more likely to die in a tornado. Okay. Raise your hand if you think you'll die by a shark attack before a tornado. Okay. Who thinks it's more likely to die in a tornado? It's actually way, way, way more likely to die in a shark attack. Not, okay, yeah, obviously, like, circumstantially, if you never go to the ocean, you're never going to die from a shark attack, unless you're, like, visiting an aquarium and fall in a tank or something crazy. But, like, if you live within 100 miles of the coast, that's a statistic, and if you live outside of 100 miles, and it's even 1 in 11,000, so it's still more, or 11 million, still more likely. So, it turns out, you're more likely to die from furniture falling on you than you are to find a four-leaf clover. And I didn't know that until this morning. And I didn't plan it this way, but as I was kind of putting this little fun game together, it turns out a lot of people are, have an odd fascination of knowing how likely they are to die from something. Way more than they are about good things happening. Which I think that jolly thought lines up perfectly with the tone of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Which, you guys can go ahead and open to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and 10, because we are getting close to the end of our Living in Reverse series, where we are looking at the end of life, death, so that we can live today a better life. So the focus of today's message is going to be the nature of life and the, and the randomness we find in it, which is why we are looking at the odds this morning. And we will kind of see that uh, appear as we read. But we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. That's Ecclesiastes 9.10. So let's just dwell on that for a second. So the first thing that comes to my mind is the Colossians 3 verse that says, Whatever you do, work with all of your heart because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know, it has that, the same idea that we need to be giving our all to what we're doing. But there's two different reasons for that. One, uh, that we'll get into in a second. We'll kind of explore that. But first, I want to sh- talk about the word shales. Now, some of your translations may have said the grave, which is just the Hebrew word shale. So it says you're going to the shale, you're going to the grave. And maybe a more literal translation would be the place where the dead reside. The place where the dead dwell. And it's not just a place for sinners. You know, it's not like the lake of fire or something like that. It's for everyone, actually. Look at Ecclesiastes 9.2 for a second. It is the same for all of them, and it's the same fate. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, For the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. The one fate Solomon is talking about in case you had any question is death. The righteous, the wicked, the one who sacrifices and the one who doesn't, they all go to the same place. They go to the grave. In the grave, as we read in verse 10... There's no activity. There's no planning. There's no knowledge, no wisdom. When you die, there is a period of nothingness, as Solomon is is saying here. It's a lot like sleep, like the really deep sleep. You just close your eyes at 10, and you wake up, and at 6, and you're like, whoa, eight hours or nine hours just went by. That is how the Bible talks about death. It actually calls death sleep over 60 different times in Scripture. It is a state of unconsciousness. There's nothing going on in the grave. And that means, the lesson from this, that means there's only one chance. There's one life for you to do something that's good and worthwhile. It's when you have the breath of life in your lungs. Now, focus on your breathing for a second. And you're alive. Now is your chance to do something. That matters. Because that breath is going to be gone someday. While you're alive and under the sun, as Ecclesiastes likes to say, we need to do things with intention and passion. Because when we're in the grave, we can't do anything. And that really lines up with one of the main messages of the New Testament, which is that we have this one life to come to believe in Jesus And we also have this one life to do the work that glorifies God and to bring people into his kingdom, to help engage people with the salvation gospel. There is this urgency about it. And as Christians, this means that we should work hard. We should do things passionately for two different reasons. One, we know that we're not just working for a random guy. You know, if you go to work at Jimmy John's with Judd, you're not just working for Judd, right? You're working for God. And we're not working for ourselves, we're working for God. And the second thing, the second reason is that we realize 
As a Christian, this is our only chance. We have this one life. There's no redo. There's not a second life. There's no reincarnation. It's not like a video game where you can just go back to your last save and try again, right? This is it. So there's some kind of burden or weight that we have to do something that is meaningful and good. And on top of all of that, just to put the cherry on top of your sadness, is that you don't have any idea how long it's going to last either. Which is exactly what Solomon goes on to say. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like a fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls on them. Time and chance, the great equalizer. You've heard of the world's richest people dying at a young age, you know, from an incurable disease or an accident, right? Then you hear of the poorest people on the planet who almost never have enough food and they live to be 100, right? Sometimes things are just flipped on their heads. They don't make sense. And when it comes to chance and accident, accidents, no one thinks it's going to be them, right? You're just like, oh, that is something that happens to other people. But the reality is someone... A person who was alive, just like you and me, died in one of the ways we looked at this morning. A shark attack, a tornado, you know, furniture falling on them. There's like all these kinds of crazy things that happen in accidents. We never think it's going to be us, but it could be us. It's a grim picture that Solomon is painting about life. We are like a fish or a bird caught in a trap that we can't escape from, and And death is just waiting right there to grab us. And if that doesn't wake you up, if that doesn't make you think, I don't know what else I can say to you that makes us real. It is a very sobering thought. We looked at the odds. What are the odds that you're going to die one day? One in one, 100%. So what are you going to do that matters? Solomon continues to build on this on these ideas of the nature of life and chance in verses 13 through 18. Let's go ahead and read those now. Also, this time I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with a few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered the poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So Solomon realizes to kind of um, the counterweight, the balance of this, is that he realizes that wisdom is actually really powerful, that it can do great things, it can alter our lives. So in fact, there is a benefit in learning wisdom and practicing it. It's not like all of life is just futile. 
We can do good things by wisdom. But he does point out that even in wisdom, there's an inherent unfairness. This poor man, even though he had wisdom, was not listened to. Even though he saved the city, he was not recognized for what he did because he was poor. You know, sometimes the foolishness that we see in the world is promoted just because someone's popular or they have a lot of money or they got elected to something, right? And some of the wisest people, the most sincere people, you never hear of because of their circumstances, right? So this is a reminder to us to maybe block out the foolish shouting and listen to the quietness of the wise. Let's continue looking at this theme that Solomon is developing here in chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 12 with me. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit to the charmer. Words from the mouth of the wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Verses 8 and 9 are recognition of the dangers of life and the chances that we take by just living, right? You have to drive, you have to eat, you can die in a car wreck, and you can choke on food. Like, there's just kind of that recognition that life is inherently kind of chancy, and you have to do things. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't live, right? And then he also goes on to say that, but if you use wisdom, if if you learn knowledge and biblical wisdom that it will give you an advantage. It will give you a sharp edge, like sitting down and sharpening your axe. Wisdom is a tool, so to speak, that we can use to fight back against the unfairness of life, against the chance of life. Wisdom gives us an advantage. And then there's this interesting analogy of the snake charmer. And I think what we're getting at here is that sometimes we run into the snakes of the world, so to speak, right? Those people who are looking to hurt or strike us. But if the snake charmer is wise and says the right thing at the right time, they can not only stop the snake from striking, but influence it and gain profit out of it. Right? So he's saying to a fool who doesn't know how to charm a snake, they're going to get bit. But if you're wise, a good snake charmer, so to speak... You're going to be able to maybe twist some things to your advantage and be shrewd and be advantageous in your life, maybe when it otherwise wouldn't be. So Solomon sees it both ways. He's saying life is totally unfair, but knowledge and wisdom really can help push things in the right direction for you. And certainly, if you love God and fear him, which is the source of knowledge and wisdom, he's going to be blessing you and having your back. But that does not negate the chance in life. But I do love verse 12 because it just gives this analogy. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The easiest way to waste your life and to get into trouble is just say and do whatever you want whenever you want to, right? Have you ever talked yourself into something that you thought, oh man, I'm in trouble now? (laughs) I do more than I wish I did, right? 
The lips of the fool consume himself. It's like this analogy of you like taking bites. Like imagine just eating yourself and how gross and destructive that would be. Right? That's what he's saying. To be a fool is to be like that. Now here's the ironic thing about wisdom. Nothing we said today should surprise you. Right? Isn't that kind of interesting that wisdom makes perfect sense, but it's so often ignored? So let's recap what we learned today. So that way you don't forget, Aaron. You'll never forget this. I promise. You already know this. Life isn't fair. We all know that. But let's just get it out there. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair because of sin. And sin makes, unlife, makes life unfair because it corrupted the good that God created. Right? We are just living in a broken age where the warrior doesn't win the battles where the wise poor man who saves the city doesn't get his recognition. But sometimes life works out in predictable ways, in ways that we'd expect. That's why they're called expectations. But a healthy worldview realizes that even though something may happen or more likely to happen, it's not guaranteed to happen. And a healthy worldview also realizes that death is never really that far away. As Solomon says, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. If we know life is short and unfair, I think we're more likely to live it with purpose. Number two, live with purpose. Right? There's no activity in the grave. You've only got one shot. There, we do know, however, I, I do want to recognize that, that we do know there's another age coming. Right? Amen. And resurrection. That's the hope of resurrection. But it's this life and this age where we get the chance to help bring people into the kingdom. This is our chance to do that. So we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a deadline, so to speak. We can do good things. I didn't write that down. That just came to my head. I don't know why I haven't thought about that through all these books of Ecclesiastes, the chapters of Ecclesiastes at this point. But... So we shouldn't be slowing down. You know, if something comes to us, an opportunity, let's try to take it. Let's try to be good stewards of our time and resources, to live with purpose, focus on what is important. Let wisdom guide us, which is the last thing. Wisdom is an advantage, right? We need to really take that to heart, that learning what God says, not just what Ecclesiastes says, but the whole of Scripture, really does lead us to live a more successful and better life that doesn't mean that someone who follows God faithfully is going to be wealthy or rich, right? That everything they do in their business is going to be successful. I think we all know that. But it is an advantage. So I guess we can say wisdom doesn't negate bad things, but it lessens their effects. And wisdom doesn't make good things happen, but it allows us to get more out of the good things. So let's wrap up here. We've all been given life we've all been given life now it's up to us how to use it if you want to be wasteful and lazy and and be lost in your life then ignore what solomon has said ignore the teachings of scripture but if you want to live an excellent life a wise life a dynamic life a purposeful life then take what Solomon says and what the Bible says to heart. Really take it in and learn it and love it. 
We all know the end is coming. So let's live our lives with a fervor so that in the end we can be proud of who we are. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity today to really look into your wisdom. I pray that you fill our lives with purpose, that you guide us in your knowledge and wisdom, that we can rely on you to be our leader. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.